And now if you would uh, turn your attention to the scriptures, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. It's on page 982. Philippians 4, and we'll do verses 1 through 9. This is God's sacred word, which is able to make us wise for salvation because it tells us about Jesus. So, let's give it due attention. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. We'll be focusing our attention on verses uh, 6 and 7 in particular but we certainly wanted to have the context uh, before we looked at these verses. Uh, Let us pray again, and then we'll dive into it. Lord, we thank you that you care about what goes on in our hearts, and you want us, for your honor and glory and for our good, uh, to know peace from God and before God and peace with one another. And finally, Lord, the whole of creation will be caught up in your shalom, your peace. Uh, We thank you that we, even now, can begin to live out that treasure in our lives uh, and that it can transform how we see our circumstances and even how we see uh, every person. Bless us, Lord, to grow in this precious grace. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. One night we were praying right before dinner, and what had happened over the past few days was that my oldest son, Chase, had had a friend for a couple of days. I can't even remember all the friends' names. Uh, And it was unusual. This was a first that he would have somebody come and stay this long but their family was out of town and that's why this friend had stayed for a couple of days Uh, and that final day uh, my daughter Anna Kate and my son John Darwin also had had a friend the final afternoon 
okay? So John Darwin, though, all during the two days, was just pretty eaten up with jealousy. Just couldn't believe that his, that his brother got to have somebody that long. It just was unheard of, you know, that kind of benefit given to him. <clears throat> so as we were uh, about to have dinner, all the friends had gone, and I asked John Darwin to pray. I had no motive in there. I just asked him to pray. <clears throat> and so this is uh, with names supplied because I can't remember the names of the children, but this is how John Darwin prayed. Lord, I thank you that Jack got to come over today and, and play, and I thank you that Anna Kate got to have Susan over to play, and I thank you that Chase got to have Will over for two whole days. <laughs> Just couldn't quite make it through Thanksgiving. <laughs> Now, that's interesting because what happened in John Darwin's heart right there was his anxiety over not having what his brother had overcame his gratitude, right? Just overcame his gratitude. And it's interesting in this uh, passage, Paul calls on gratitude to overcome anxiety, right? That really forms part of the outline of this uh, sermon is that first there's the problem of anxiety. There's this principle of uh, thankful prayer. And then there's the final promise that we will experience God's peace. That peace will guard us. So we'll look at it in that way. The the problem of, of, of anxiety, this principle of thankful prayer and then finally, the promise that is given to us that God's peace <clears throat> will guard us. Now, by <clears throat> anxiety, it's important to define this, to say what it is and what it isn't. It is a distracting and debilitating worry <clears throat> that takes us away from trusting God. Okay? It's an anxiety that keeps us from resting in God. Now, I want to distinguish it between, uh, from two things. First of all, this word is actually used earlier in chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 20, as <clears throat> Paul is describing Timothy, saying he's going to send Timothy to the Philippians. And he says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. It's the same word, okay? who will be anxious for your welfare. So there's a legitimate concern and care that Paul is looking for in Timothy. That, in fact, he actually commands all of us in uh, 1, Timothy, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 12, 25, that <clears throat> there are to be no divisions among us, but we're to have the same care for one another. That's the same anxiety for one another. So there's a kind of care, a kind of anxiety, which is a part of love. It would not be love if what you're going through doesn't matter to me, right? That wouldn't be love if I didn't become burdened with what you're burdened with. No, I'm to weep with those that weep and, and rejoice with those re- that rejoice, as Paul says in Romans. 
So I'm to have a fellow feeling, I'm to be involved. That kind of concern and care, and you might even call it anxiety, is good. As long as it's a part of my worship to God, my trust in God, uh, and, and obviously it's a part of my love to others. Now, let me distinguish it from a second thing as well. Uh, in Mark 14, Jesus, in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane, said to his disciples, uh, as he's going to the garden, he said, I'm greatly distressed and troubled. My soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. So here is Christ, the perfect man, never sinned, distressed, troubled, so sorrowful, he feels pushed to the limit of life itself. So full of grief, he says, I can hardly breathe. This is what he's basically saying. Now, it would not do for you to come to Jesus and say, hey, you're not supposed to be anxious for anything. You seem anxious, Jesus. Yeah, ang- anxious would not get close to what he felt, right? In fact, in the Lucan account, it says that angels came to strengthen him. It says that his sweat was like great drops of blood. That's the distress he was experiencing. So, this does not mean that we will not at times experience uh, trauma that we will not be devastated by circumstances, that we won't go through heartbreak and shock at what we may be facing or what has happened to us. But these things should always be the kind of thing that causes us to pour our heart out to God. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and so we... Uh, And even in the Psalms, you see these detailed descriptions of of people giving their... No, thank you. Um, What is this? (laughs) Well, it's not what I hoped. But anyway, it's good. It's it's water. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. No, 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 no. And so uh, you see this constantly in the Psalms, don't you? As they uh, talk about their feelings, they talk about the, in detail about what they're facing. That certainly is not forbidden. It's not forbidden that you have the full range of human emotions, especially in this fallen world, and the kind of things that will happen to you. But these are to be poured out, of course, before God, unloaded uh, in His presence. <clears throat> Not to become something that causes a kind of anxiety that draws us away from God. So I want to distinguish this, the kind of anxiety that Paul is talking about. It's the kind of anxiety that would disfigure God almost to your perception. Making him under the burden of your anxiety to be a different kind of God than he truly is. When you're infected with this kind of anxiety, you don't see God as the strong and caring God that he is. You don't see him as present and as gracious to you. And when you're flooded with this kind of anxiety, your active, real sense 
of his care is just wash down the gully with your anxiety. His goodness to you is not your storyline when you're suffering this kind of anxiety. And so when anxiety attaches and eats away at our hearts, uh, God is not big enough to handle our enormous problems. We're not thinking about him and his greatness. We're just thinking about the problem. It's as though God's been snuffed out. And all we can be concerned about is this thing, this life, this relationship, this series of issues that I'm facing. As I'm dominated by anxiety, (laughs) to put it this way, it's almost as though God becomes to me a kind of invalid God that can't do anything for me anymore. I'm in despair. I'm governed by this anxiety. Or he doesn't even care to do it if he's even able to. So anxiety can remake God into a kind of neglectful, hard-hearted apartment superintendent who doesn't care about my situation. Anxiety can make him to appear to be like a husband who's abandoned his wife or a traitor or even a tyrant We think of how horrible it is that one would kidnap a baby from a mother, but that's what Satan wants to do, is to kidnap you away from the love and presence of God. Not that that love and presence is not there, but to kidnap you away from that sense of his love and presence. That's what anxiety does. That's how deadly it is when we're governed by it. In one of my uh, most terrible nightmares growing up, one of uh, only a couple that I can remember, I was one street over at Nancy Pope's house. Why it was Nancy Pope's house, I had a whole bunch of friends in the neighborhood, but that's where the nightmare set up shop, okay? So uh, I'm going to her house. It's pitch black at night, really scary, had a sense of foreboding. And I could see in the house, it was all brightly lit up. It was warm, inviting. It was the place of safety and protection. And I couldn't wait to get there. And I was walking down the sidewalk in anticipation, getting into the house. I got right to the front steps, about half a dozen front steps. And suddenly, a hand came over my mouth and pulled me away back into the darkness and the light just faded. I was horrified. And it's funny that the way dreams work because I finally got his hand off my mouth and that's when in reality I I shouted out, Mother! Like that. And she came in and comforted her little boy and all that. Okay. So, but you know, this, this is a great picture of Anxiety putting its clammy hand over your mouth and drawing you away from the wonderful sense of the presence and care of God. That's why we have to oppose it, you see. That's why we have to attack it and guard ourselves against it, against it and put ourselves in the mighty hand of God that He will guard us. And as well... Anxiety is deceptive. It deadens your sensibility of God and focuses your attention solely on your situation 
So sometimes you don't even have any sense of being taken away from him. That's something that where the analogy kind of falls down. It's just he's not there. You know, you're just suddenly go from one state to another because your situation, your circumstances now dominate your life and God is gone. And his promises, his presence, his power, his goodness, it's as though he doesn't exist. And that can go on for a long time before you even realize it. And so anxiety is, you know, deceptive, sneaky in, in that way. And if anxiety because of sad things that may have happened early in your life, it can set in early and deep and becomes a kind of lens by which you see the world. You see the world with a resident anxiety. And this can hurt relationships terribly. It can create in you a kind of quest for significance that makes you demand from others that they make you the center of their world. And when they don't do it, they will pay the price. But you don't even realize it's your anxiety, it's your fear that is causing this. It just happens because of its governing your life. And some, you may even invent mistreatment when it's not even there or interpret an action as against yourself when it really had nothing to do with you. Anxiety can damage relationships. And we don't even know what's going on because we are so deceived. It can cause you to want to control your circumstances or control people around you so that you're not going to be hurt like you were early. And you don't even realize it's the way you run things, the way you govern things, to try to control your circumstance. You live a life of self-protection, avoiding, avoiding every kind of risk, especially the risk of love. And I know that so well in my life. So well in my life. Um, but we don't have time to give a 30-minute <laughs> explanation of that. Immersed in anxiety, we run from our problems into alcohol or drugs or excessive gaming or entertainment or various forms of lust or work or accomplishment, all being driven by anxiety. And of course, it causes such physical issues to the extent that my dad, who was a family in family practice, said, I think almost half the people I see, their problem started here. It's a real problem. It's physical, but it started there. Daddy, really? He said, that's, that's what I see. And, of course, Christ even warns us about the great spiritual danger of cares. In this uh, parable of the sower and the seed, he says that one, form, uh, one place where the seed falls, and it's a picture of the word falling on a human heart. And he says, in that place, thorns grow up and choke out the seed. And it's a picture, he says, of the cares of this world choking out the word of God so that it doesn't bear fruit in your life. So that your attachment, your fixation on your own cares and anxieties block the goodness of the gospel. And in a sense, you are running and staying and holding on to the anxiety and cares of this world instead of the Word of God, instead of Christ. It's really kind of like 
a girl raised by an alcoholic father who gravitates toward alcoholic men when she's grown because that's what she knows. Her worst pain is twisted into a bizarre place of safety when it is anything but safe. And we can hold on to our anxiety and the cares of this life for safety instead of holding on to Christ. That's how deceptive, that's how destructive anxiety can be in our lives. Well, that is something of this problem of anxiety. Paul, as you see here in verse 6, gives us this principle that in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we let our requests be made known to God. Now, he uses three different words here to describe prayer plus the word of thanksgiving. I want to talk just a little bit about prayer, making known your requests, and then uh, the, the, the role of thanksgiving in making known uh, those requests. Um, we're commanded here to make known all that's going on in our hearts. We're commanded to unburden our hearts completely to God. It's interesting how there's, uh, he, he talks about, in nothing be anxious, in everything by prayer, let your request be made known to God. So there's this blanket, comprehensive statement. Don't let anything cause you anxiety, but in every one of those things, okay, make your requests be made known to God. So this is a call to full disclosure, right, before God. This is a call to, un, uh, to, to be honest and open and transparent with God. Uh, it's very much like what Peter says, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. That's 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And so, by God's grace, it can become our reflex action to tell Him everything, to talk in earnest to Him about the particulars of our fears and pressures, about our weakness, about our confusion, about the turmoil and sadness we're experiencing, uh, about the, pres- the, the, the difficulty of the situation that we're facing. And in all of these things... We're to draw near to God. There's a, a great little uh, parable. It's, a, it's a, a fable about who can get the guy to take his coat off, whether it's the wind or the sun. You may remember that, that the wind blows harder and harder, and the guy just holds his coat but, uh, closer, but the sun comes out and brings his sunshine, and the man takes his coat off. But the point I want to make is when you are faced with the cold, biting wind, and say your coat is unbuttoned when you walk outside, you start buttoning it up, you start putting on your hood, you put on your scarf, you get as deep as you can into that coat for its warmth, right? You don't, in the face of a biting wind, say, off with the coat. You see, God is our coat and protection. He is our Father. He is the one who holds us and and is present with us. It's amazing how, and we all do this, in the face of the biting cold of anxieties, to throw God off. 
He's the very one we need so desperately. And the very point of these things is to draw us to him. And we throw him off and immerse ourselves in the, wor- in the circumstances and situations that we face. And so we are to go ever more deeply into God's grace, right? And to be open and honest before Him, our requests are many things to request, many things to ask Him for. Uh, Certainly there can be, Lord, deliver me from this circumstance or change this circumstance. But that always doesn't happen, obviously. And so, Lord, give me in this circumstance grace to believe you and grace to hope in the future. Give me grace to hope in what you're doing in my life. Give me grace that in this circumstance I will manifest your goodness to others. Give me grace that in this circumstance I will be changed to be more like Christ. Those are at least some of the things you see that we can pour out to God. But to tell Him what happened to us how we felt about it, what we did, uh, to tell him what we're facing, what we're going through, how we feel about it. These should be regular parts of our prayer life. And that's what Paul is calling us to. And the fact that he says, in everything with thanksgiving, let your requests be made down to God. This basically is setting the course of our life, isn't it? Saying this must be your relationship to God. Helpless, dependent, expectant faith as you pour your heart out to, your, to this God. This, of course, begins to turn the corner in that we're beginning to trust Him. We're beginning to see Him as the Father who cares for us. Uh, we're beginning to look to Him that He will help us in the midst of the things we're struggling with. But then, attached to that prayer as well, thanksgiving. So important that this is a part of it. When we thank God, we begin to run a census on His goodness, you might say. A careful inventory of His great acts. Accurate invoices of His kindnesses to us. And what thanksgiving does is it returns you to a right view of God. Because you're acknowledging who He is, what He's done for you in creation and in Christ Jesus. It restores you to the true God. It clears your head and restores your vision of God and His goodness and His greatness. And Thanksgiving, it's, it's, it's like a wind that just uh, dissipates the suffocating smog uh, of our anxiety so that we can see the sun and moon and cloud and stars of God's beauty again through Thanksgiving. Uh, and we must thank Him. There are many things, of course, to thank Him for, but to rehearse thanking Him for His love in Christ Jesus, thanking Him for His faithfulness and care, thanking Him for His strength in what's happening and His control over what's happening, thanking Him for His purpose in my life as I'm facing this thing, thanking Him for the hope He's given me of the new heavens and the new earth in spite of what I'm going through thanking Him for the great treasure that I have in Christ, for the specific things in my life that I have in creation that I can begin to thank Him for again, to restore to to my sense this great God who has created all things. Thank Him that He's willing to hear me. Thank Him that He's willing to act for me. 
Your heart can just go wild in thanksgiving. But it is this thanksgiving that causes anxiety to, as we pour out our requests and thank God, it causes anxiety to fall by the wayside and for our hearts to be governed by peace. It's interesting that in Isaiah 26.3, we read this, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. What's, this is what Paul is saying. Keep your mind stayed upon him by pouring out requests, by constantly acknowledging him. Worship is, that is, is deadly. <laughs> Worship is uh, deadly to anxiety. Worship drives anxiety out. It's the most potent antidote to toxic anxiety. In the summer of 72, my brother was in a boating accident in which a propeller hit his arm and knocked three chunks out of his arm. And he was doing well the first day. The second day, it looked like everything was great. And a a doctor friend who played tennis with Mark was almost to his car when he thought, oh, I hadn't said hi to Mark. I've got to go by and see him. He wasn't his doctor. He's just saying hi as a friend. He, he walks in the room, and immediately the smell of gaseous gangrene hit him. Apparently, a few, the other people who had been in there didn't have any idea because it was bandaged. You couldn't see anything. All that was given was the smell. They ripped off the bandages. They got him to surgery. They cut open the top part of his arm to save that. His arm was saved. His life was saved. He did lose a piece of muscle. That was one of the saddest things in my life. And the only time I saw my doctor dad weep openly was when he saw that that muscle was going to have to go because he knew exactly what it would mean for my brother. Now, my brother has had a wonderful life. He shifted tennis to his left hand and played junior college. (laughs) Amazing. And uh, so, Things have turned out really good, so God's grace is in his life in that way. Um, But here's the thing. Gangrene, as you may know, is an anaerobic bacteria. It exists when there is no oxygen. And so they were trying to get a good blood supply of the arm, but it failed. And the reason they saved this arm is they opened it up to get oxygen, and that stopped the gangrene. You can see the analogy, right? It's the oxygen of worship. It's the oxygen of praise and thanksgiving that destroys the terrible bacteria of anxiety. That's why we must be awash and cleanse ourselves, you know, take baths, so to speak, in the precious worship of God. If I was at a friend's house uh, one time, and it, this, this house was on a lake, cat, kind of a cabin, and we saw this terrible ruckus across the, the lake, rushing about and something hitting something, and we, I couldn't tell what was happening until something flew up from there and brought it over to a tree right on his property. It was an eagle that had hit a duck. But those ducks were injured ducks, a group of about a dozen of them, and they couldn't fly. I then learned the term sitting duck, right? 
You just imagine the eagle that morning. You know, I think I'm going to have a little duck today. <laughs> There's nothing he could do about it, right? He goes, he plucks it out, and that's it. And brothers and sisters, if we uh, are not given to praise and thanksgiving, we are sitting ducks for the talons of anxiety. And it will take you. And as Brian talked about, we're told that we live in an age of anxiety. Uh, And the history of mankind is marked by that. As I've read some of the history, uh, civilization after civilization is just marked by this anxiety. So this is the problem of anxiety, the, the great principle of opening our hearts up to God with thanksgiving, and then this wonderful peace, shalom, that he will bring to us and guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Notice, he will do it. It's the peace of God. It's nothing that I can do. That's some of what he means when he says it surpasses all understanding. This is not just it surpasses our understanding that we could have peace right now. It's more about it surpasses all of our ability, all of the gymnastics of our minds. His peace is greater than all of that and can do what our minds cannot do. What we are helpless to do, his peace can come and do. Jesus even calls it my peace in John 14, 27. I'll give you my peace. And so it's the peace that God knows himself. It's his own tranquility that by grace he imparts to his people so that we are caught up into his own peace. And it's a peace that has everything to do with community. It has to do with our experiencing peace with God knowing his smile and favor in our lives and experiencing that in the midst of our greatest difficulties and that transforming us and making us resilient so that we can uh, have peace with one another. And that's why in Colossians, just one page over, chapter 3, verse 15, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Most of the mentions of peace from Paul have to do with the peace that is brought about in a fellowship under Christ. And so the way we treat one another and the way we will treat the world depends upon our own experience of this peace and even earlier in verse 4 of joy. That's why we can then let our gentleness be known in verse 5 to everyone Uh, to manifest this gentleness that is buoyed up and nourished by peace and joy in Christ Jesus. And finally, just let me say this. It is in Christ Jesus alone that we can have this peace. Only in Christ Jesus. It is not promised to any but those who would trust in Christ to those who helplessly depend upon Christ to rescue them from the guilt of their wrong that they've ever done, to rest in Him to change them and mold them into vessels of purity and love. So trust in God always begins with trust in Christ. And it is attached to trust in Christ. And the peace of God takes its first step into your heart 
through faith in Jesus Christ. And God's love in Christ then becomes the foundation of all of your trust and all of your peace, your shalom. In union with everything Christ is and everything that He has done for you, then you truly can be happy in God and know His peace. Let us pray. Lord, we ask You to bless us that we will not make anxiety our idol, our God, and that, Lord, as we experience anxiety, we will uh, be helped to see the, the gods that we have, the things that are so much more important than you are, and that, that anxiety will be a, a kind of red flag to us to say this thing that is taking me up has, has taken the place of God himself. This thing has, has almost replaced Jesus to me. And, Lord, we pray that uh, your peace will dis- dispel these things, that we will be in such active relationship to you and soaking ourselves in your praise and your thanksgiving that indeed your shalom, your wholeness will govern our lives and that wholeness will enrich our relationships and enrich our creativity and work and enrich everything that we do as human beings. For your peace, your shalom, will restore our humanity, what we were meant to be. Oh, Lord, bless us with this peace, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.